you brought your Bible with you tonight, would you go to Exodus chapter 30? Exodus chapter 30, uh, we're continuing our study uh, through the book of Exodus. And this evening we come to chapter 30, we're going to go through verses 1 through 10. The title of this text of scripture I've given it is The Altar as a Picture of Prayer. The Altar as a Picture of Prayer. Exodus 30 verse 1. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon of shittim wood shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof. Four square shall it be. Two cubits shall be the height thereof. The horns thereof shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof, and the sides thereof, round about, and the horns thereof. And thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. And two golden rings shalt thou make to it under the crown of it, by the two corners thereof, upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it, and they shall be for places for the staves to bear it withal or to carry it. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. Thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps. He shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall you pour drink offering thereon. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. Let's pray. O oh Lord, it is our sincere desire to draw closer to you through the study of your word. We believe, Lord, that there are joys, delights, rewards to be had for those who diligently study your word and rightly divide it. And so, Father, I pray and ask that you would help us to be diligent in our studies tonight. I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead me and guide me to accurately exposit your text. Lord, may we make some correlations that you have put in Scripture and help us to understand how this piece of furniture designed for the tabernacle pictures for us the beautiful place of prayer in the believer's life. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 30 begins with a description of the altar of incense and we actually learned about this when we were studying the furniture of the tabernacle a, a while back and for some reason the details of the altar of incense were recorded separately from the rest of the furniture. We were in that section back around Exodus 25 and we were going through the lampstand and the table of showbread, the ark of the covenant, the uh, altar of burnt offerings, the labor. And at that time, we went ahead and jumped ahead and looked at this altar of incense just so that we understood all of the furniture that was in the tabernacle. And uh, as we have an occasion to revisit this subject, I don't want to look at the design and the dimensions, but I, I want to highlight a different aspect of the altar where the priests burnt incense to the Lord night and day in the tabernacle. I want us to see the altar of incense as a place of prayer. 
There is a correlation in Scripture between incense and prayer. Let me just share with you a few text verses to frame that for you. Psalm 141.2 says, Let my prayer be set before thee as incense. Revelation 8, 3 and 4, And the smoke of incense which came up with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God. And so as we're looking at this in the context of all of Scripture and we are zooming out, if you will, instead of just looking at the details of it, we begin to understand that there's this correlation between incense and the prayers of God's people. Uh, Furthermore, listen to the dictionary definition of an altar. It is defined as any raised place or structure on which sacrifices may be offered or incense burned as an act of worship. And so the burning of incense on an altar as an act of worship is so prevalent that even the secular world makes that correlation. They understand that that there is some sort of correlation between the burning of this incense and the offering of worship or the offering of prayers. And so from this text tonight, I would like to offer six shared characteristics between the altar of incense and prayer. Number one, it takes work to make an altar. If you notice in verse 1, the very first task is to make the altar. Thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. It was and would remain non-existent if no one did the work to make it. God didn't make the altar. He didn't supernaturally drop it down from heaven. All finished for them. He told them, you have to make this altar. This is an altar that I have established. It's a meeting place. It's a place where you'll burn incense to me. It is part of your worship. But I want you to make it. Likewise, I would say to you that prayer takes work. Your prayer life will be non-existent if you don't make it. You can be saved, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, have the security of a believer, but if you don't put in an effort, you will have an anemic prayer life. It will consist of praying before you eat and when you are in a crisis. If you're going to have a prayer life, it requires work. Listen to Ephesians 6.18, the Apostle Paul said, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. While prayer can be a place of asylum and joy for the believer, the fact is it does take work. To say that prayer takes work does does not mean that we don't find any joy in prayer. We sing about the sweet hour of prayer and the joy and the consolation that is to be found there. But may I dare ask how many people have spent a full hour in prayer? And I'm afraid that most of us would say, well, maybe once I did or I was at a prayer meeting that lasted an hour. But do you understand that to pray for a significant amount of time actually requires work? It requires self-discipline. 
For most of us, it's going to require us silencing our phone or turning it off or putting it in a different room so that we don't check it when it vibrates during our prayer time. It's going to require us focusing and collecting our thoughts and not allowing them to drift. I've discovered that in my own prayer life that when I uh, remove all the distractions, the external ones, and I begin to pray, that somehow my brain begins to wander and think about any number of things besides what I'm trying to pray about. And so I think the first correlation that I see here is that it does require work. The word that the Apostle Paul used there in Ephesians 6.18, the word supplication, that is often used in conjunction with prayer, means to labor. means to labor in prayer. And Paul says that it will require perseverance to continue in prayer. The idea of perseverance is not coasting. It's not drifting. It's not that you've got so much momentum that you can just roll across the finish line. It is the idea that you have to work and stay in it and dig so that you can keep going. And Paul says, look, a real prayer life is going to require labor. It's going to require supplication, praying when you don't feel like praying, praying longer than you feel like praying, disciplining yourself to pray. And it's going to require perseverance. That is, you're going to have to get up and do it day after day after day after day after day. The wonderful thing about the human design is that God has made us habitual creatures. And that if we start a habit, it takes us about three weeks, but usually if we can go for three weeks, we can create a habit and things begin to get easier from there. Now, that's good news when it's a good habit like brushing your teeth, but it's bad news when it's a bad habit like smoking. Uh, We can create both good and bad habits. We can create good habits in prayer. We can create bad habits in prayer. And so the work is required for us to make a prayer life just as there was work that was required to make an altar. Number two, God gives specific instructions about his altar. In verses two and three, that's where we get the details, is it not? He tells them that it is to be a cubit in length and a cubit in width and four square, that it's equal in all of its dimensions. Two cubits shall be the height thereof and the horns. And then he talks about the overlay. He talks about the molding, the crown molding around the top. And so he gives specific instructions about this. From a construction perspective, these are the blueprints. I like blueprints. Now, I'm not great at reading blueprints, but if I'm going to make something, if somebody wants me to make something, draw it out for me. Let me see what you want so that I can follow it. I, 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 I don't like leaving things up to chance, and so if somebody wants me to do something, I would rather have specific instructions as opposed to just general instructions. And so God, from a construction perspective, gives them the blueprints. He gives them the designs with specific dimensions and proportions. And he gives them the measurements. This is how long. This is how wide. This is how tall. And he even gives them the materials. Use shittim wood as your frame and then overlay it in gold. But may I point out that from a theological perspective, Perspective. If I'm simply trying to 
build my theology, my systematic theology as I'm going through scripture and I, I'm just trying to, 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 to learn more and to frame and understand God, then from a theological perspective when I read this, I find that God is being very specific about what kind of altar will be acceptable to him. This altar in these dimensions with these proportions made out of these materials is the accepted altar. It is the altar that I want you to build. Do you realize that God simply would not accept just any altar? Well, y'all just build out whatever you got laying around. Whatever you got will do, however big or small you want to make it, you just, you just make your own altar. No, no. Theologically, God is thoroughly specific about the details of the tabernacle. From the ground up, everything is laid out by God to Moses to be followed to a T. Why? Because that is the design that God wants. And not just not any, ta- not any altar would be acceptable to God uh, that was made out of any materials, no matter how sincere the builder was. So it didn't matter how sincere Moses was if he sincerely wanted to build something to God. If it was not to God's specific design, it would not have been accepted. You say, how do you know this is true? Well, I know this is true because Aaron's two sons got struck down dead for offering strange fire. I don't doubt their sincerity. I don't doubt that they sincerely were wanting to worship God, but they did not do it God's prescribed way, and God would not accept their worship act because of that. Likewise, I say that God has given to us specifics about prayer that is acceptable to him. Just any prayer is not acceptable. Prayers to Buddha won't make it to God. Prayers to Muhammad prayers to the universe, prayers of other forms and fashions. You say, what are those specifics about prayer? Well, now, no doubt there's a lot of latitude in it, but it must be addressed to the true God. If you want to pray the way that God wants you to pray and have it heard and received by God, then it must be addressed to God. The only true God. The God as he is revealed in scripture. If we can't pray to an imaginary God, a God of our own making, it must be on the basis of Jesus' atonement. I can't pray to God based upon my works because I've had a good week or because I've made all the offerings or because I've tried to live a good moral life. I can't expect that it is going to be acceptable, God, if it's on the basis of my works. It must be on the basis of Jesus' works. Even the prayer of the lost for salvation is, must be addressed to the true God and it must be on the basis of Jesus' atonement for it to be heard and accepted and then prayer must be in accordance with his will must be in accordance with God's will you can pray till you are blue in the face about something and if it's not God's will it is not going to be accepted and so those are a couple of the basics but those are specifics don't take my word for it 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, chapter six, verse five, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Now, isn't that, I mean, shouldn't he start out more positive than that? We sometimes criticize preachers for being negative, and, and I try to really, uh, you know, pay attention to that. I don't want to be a negative Nelly. I don't want to be a prophet of doom. I don't always want to be uh, preaching against something because there are wonderful joys in the Lord. But may I remind you that Jesus was not a feel-good preacher. His message was not always positive. And it didn't always, wasn't always designed to draw the crowd or to make them feel good. And in this passage on prayer, he begins by saying, hey, don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray... Go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in, in, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. And so notice that Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples about pray, prayer, first he tells them don't pray like the hypocrites, don't pray like the heathen, don't use vain repetition, don't pray to be seen. And so he's being very specific. He's telling them what not to do, and then he tells them what to do. He says, in this manner, pray ye. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. And so just as that altar had some specific instructions from God to be acceptable to him... God has also given you and I some specific instructions about prayer that makes it acceptable. And the good news is that they are not minutiae detail that we have to try to keep up with. He, he didn't give us that prayer as a prayer to be memorized and to only be quoted when we pray. It is a pattern. It is after this pattern that we are to pray. We pray to the Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. He's giving us the pattern that we are to follow in prayer there. But make no doubt about it. Prayer requires some specific instruction following from God. Third, the altar is portable. It is not fixed. The altar is portable. It's not fixed. Who knew that you could discover theological truth from some rings on the side of a box? But according to Exodus 34 and 5, two golden rings shalt thou make to it under the crown of it, by the two corners thereof, upon the two sides of it, shall you make it, and they shall be places for the staves or for the sticks, the rods, to bear it withal or to carry it. God designed the altar to travel with the Israelites. 
He designed the altar to travel with the Israelites wherever they went throughout the wilderness. Remember, they are in the wilderness. If, if my memory serves me, the, the wilderness area is some 20,000 miles of sand, sandstone, and granite. I mean, it is not plush. It is not palatial. It is not refined. It is not developed. It is is or was the wilderness and God designed that altar to travel wherever they traveled over whatever terrain they were to travel whether it was up the mountain or down in the valley or through the uh, the rocks and the ridges it was portable It was not in one fixed place to which they had to return. The altar of incense was not at Mount Sinai. And every time they wanted to offer incense, they did not have to travel all the way back and make the journey to Sinai so that they could make an offering there. No, God said build the altar so that you can take it with you wherever you go so that you are able to offer incense to God from anywhere. Isn't that a beautiful picture of accessibility that God was giving his people access to him? He had made that covenant with their forefather, Abraham. I will be your God. You will be my people. One of the great lessons of the tabernacle is that God is with his people. And his people have the ability to offer this incense and to worship anywhere that they go likewise prayer is designed to be done anywhere at any time it's not something that can only be done in a church building on Sundays it's so it was so strange to me when 9-11 happened uh, it was nice that people had a renewed interest in prayer do you remember 9-11 9-11 and when tragedy struck and all of a sudden America begins praying I mean uh, it, it was it was it was American to believe in God again and you know that was refreshing but the strangest thing to me was that everybody wanted the church buildings open so that they could come pray and it's not strange because the church is supposed to be a pray, place of prayer but that it was the thought that the only place they could pray pray to God was from inside of that building let me tell you something America would be a whole lot better off if every family was praying in their home if none of them ever went inside of a building with a stained glass and steeple and prayed you see because God didn't design prayer to be done in one fixed place this is not the only place where we can pray to God it's not the only place where God meets with us where he hears us just like with the altar of incense God has made this thing of prayer portable we are to pray anywhere and everywhere this is amply illustrated time would fail us to go through the Bible and look at all of the different characters who prayed and where they prayed prayer was made from gardens prayer was made from rooftops prayer was made from prisons and God heard them Acts 16 25 says but at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God from a Philippian jail cell imagine how terrible it would be if they thought I wish I could get back to the temple so that I could pray but I have to sit here 
in this prison cell away from God until I can get back to that place. No, no. Their theology was correct. They knew that they could pray from a jail cell and that God could hear them. You know, we don't talk about this much, but can I tell you, God, God can hear your prayer from a bar. God can hear your prayer from a meth house. God can hear your prayer from the place of sin that a person is at. If it's a genuine prayer of repentance, seeking God, that person doesn't have to find their way back to a church for God to hear them. God has made himself accessible to us through prayer anytime, anywhere. Number four, the altar leads us into the presence of God. The altar leads us into the presence of God. If you remember the orientation of the tabernacle, there was one door on the east side. And when you walked into the tabernacle, there were two rooms. The first was the holy room and the second was the most holy room. In the second room, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where God would meet with his people. That's where God would descend behind the curtain. And the high priest only got to enter into there once per year. Everything else in the room was leading up to that meeting place. And so as you went in on the east side to the south, you had the lampstand with the seven candle obras that were burning. On the north side, you had the table of showbread where there was loaves of bread baked every week and placed out. And then in front of the curtain that separated between the holy place and the most holy place was the altar of incense. And it was what led you into the presence of God. And I think there's a beautiful picture there that prayer brings us right into the presence of God. That while God is omnipresent, he is everywhere. As the psalmist said, where can I go from your presence? If I, if I take to the sea, you are there. If I go to the mountains, you are there. If I go to hell, you are there. I cannot escape your presence. And yet, prayer leads us into the presence of God in a way that nothing else does. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I don't know what it is about prayer, but prayer leads you into the presence of God. That when you quiet your soul and you speak to God, you can sense a nearness that you don't always feel at other times. And so prayer is this opportunity that we have to come into the presence of God. It is the open door that God invites us to. How are we going to cross the great chasm between us and God? What line of communication do we have? There are no cell towers or phone lines or telegraphs in heaven. How do we communicate with God? It is prayer. It is the most advanced form of communication that we have. It is instantaneous as a matter of fact, we don't even have to verbalize our words and God can hear what we are praying. And so prayer leads us into the presence of God, just like the altar. Number five, the altar should be used regularly and perpetually. 
Notice Exodus 30, verses 7 and 8. Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning when he dresses the lamps. He shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at evening, he shall burn incense upon it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. God told them to burn incense at the altar every morning and every evening, perpetually throughout all generations. Hey, 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 this is how important this piece of furniture is. You address it every morning, every evening, every single day for your lifetime and your children's lifetime and their children's lifetime perpetually. It is to never end. And likewise, prayer is meant to be regular and perpetual. God wants us to come to him regularly. He wants us to meet with him morning, noon, and night. He wants us to do that, and he doesn't want us just to do it in spurts or in one generation. He wants us to do it consistently throughout our lives. He wants the next generation to do it in their lives. He wants every generation of believers to utilize prayer regularly until he comes back. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 is one of those short verses in the Bible. Oh, but those short verses say so much, don't they? Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Why, I love a focused prayer time. A time when I can turn everything off, get down on my knees, and pray to God. I have realized that that is not the only posture or time that prayer takes place. Prayer is an ongoing conversation with God. And while I believe that there ought to be those times when we do get down on our knees and pray, because there's a pattern in Scripture of that, I think it is a sign of worship, sign of respect. It does something for our hearts to get on our knees and pray. I believe that we ought to do that. Again, that's not the only place that you can pray. You and I can have a conversation with God all day long. We can begin it with him in the morning from the time that we wake up by thanking him for giving us another day and offering our life back to him. We can pray in the shower. We can pray on our commute. We can pray when we're not having to focus on other things at work. We can pray in a crisis. We can pray in celebration. I'm telling you, we can have an ongoing conversation with God every single day, all day long. We can have regular regular and perpetual prayer it is not just supposed to be occasional and it's not just for emergencies sadly sometimes we get in the habit of simply praying in moments of crisis and as long as life is going good we just don't slow down enough to have this conversation with God and we're just trucking along enjoying life doing things and then when we run into a problem all of a sudden we're praying and maybe if that problem extends for a while, we get pretty intense about praying. But then we get back into that habit when things smooth out and we go back to this occasional prayer. God doesn't want that. He wants regular prayer. He wants perpetual prayer. He wants to hear from you every single day. I think those of us who have buried parents 
realize the absence that is felt when you can't talk to that person like you'd like to talk to them. I mean, I, I can't count how many times I've heard people say, and I have felt it myself, I wish I could just pick up the phone and call them and hear their voice one more time. If you and I have that kind of love and affinity for other people, do you think that your father, your heavenly father, has less love than that for you? He wants to hear your voice. He's not telling you to pray regularly and perpetually as a duty, as a sacrament to try and secure your salvation. No, it is because he wants a fellowship with you. He wants to have that communication with you. He wants to hear from you. You are special to him. And so he wants that prayer time to be regular. And then sixth and final, the altar is sacred and holy. The altar is sacred and holy. Listen to how this portion of scripture concludes. Verse 9, you shall offer no strange incense thereon. So remember the incense formula was prescribed. There was a recipe for the incense that was to be offered, and that was the only recipe that was to be offered. No burnt sacrifice nor meat offering. Why? Because there's an altar in front of the tabernacle where the burnt sacrifices and the meat offerings are made by fire. This is an altar of incense. It has one specific purpose. You burn incense on it. In fact, you don't even pour a drink offering thereon. In the Bible, you find uh, them pouring drink offerings on different things. Yes, they poured a drink offering on the altar, but... I find them pouring drink offerings on a makeshift altar of stone in Scripture. David pours out the water from the well of Bethlehem as a drink offering to the Lord. And God says, I don't even want that. I don't want you pouring a drink offering on this altar of incense. It is set apart for one specific purpose. And he goes on, he says in verse 10, Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year, with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. So everything had to be atoned for, had to be covered by the blood. And so once a year when the, the, the sin offering was made and the blood was taken in, it was sprinkled on the priest. It was put on the horns of the altar of incense. It was placed on the mercy seat. And so he said this is included in that atonement ritual once in the year he shall make an atonement upon it throughout your generations. Listen to the concluding word. It is most holy unto the Lord. The altar of incense is a special place. It's a sacred place. It was not meant to be used for anything else. It was only to be used for that. In the same way, prayer is sacred. Prayer is special. Prayer, if you will, makes any ground holy ground because you're coming into the presence of God. What made the ground holy that Moses stood on and was told to remove his sandals? Well, it was because God was there. That's what made it holy. It's not a holy spot perpetually that you can't go walk to right now with your shoes on. It was holy because God was there. 
When you and I come to the Lord in prayer, it is a sacred space. It is a set-apart time. Prayer is holy. How holy is prayer? Well, God gives this warning through James in James 1, uh, 4, 1 through 4. He says, where do wars and fighting come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and have not. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and do not receive it because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be the friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's interesting that in that warning, that sandwich that God makes, where he talks about those internal fussings and fightings, and he talks about the enmity of friendship with the world, he talks about prayer, and he says it messes up your prayer life. When you live an unholy life, a life that is not set apart to God, it's going to interfere with your prayer life. You have not because you ask not. It's either going to keep you from praying. You're going to get to the point where you say, well, I, I know God's probably not listening to my prayers anyway because I'm not listening to him, and so I'm just not going to pray. And that unholiness in our life will, will desecrate our prayer life. Or the other alternative you start praying very selfishly. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. That you may consume it upon your own lusts. Man, I've heard people say that they were praying for things that I thought to myself, even if I didn't say it out loud, you must be crazy. God would never bless that. God would never answer that prayer. Because it is so unscriptural and so ungodly. But my friends, if we don't live holy lives, we're not going to have holy prayer lives. We're not going to be in tune with our Heavenly Father and understand the nature of prayer and the, the normative processes that are laid out for it and, and to pray according to the will of God. If we are so self-willed, then we are not going to be able to pray in accordance to the will of God. And so the altar is sacred and holy, and so is prayer. And that's why we must guard our holiness. Every Christian ought to renew a commitment and a desire to be holy. I know it's out of fashion. I know that it's never cutting edge or avant-garde, and it's never popular in the world. It's always thought of as being prudish piety and behind the times. But may I remind you, God has not changed his standard of holiness. In Leviticus 11.44, he said to his people, Be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And in Peter, he said again to the church, Be ye holy, for I am holy. God wants us to be holy people. And as holy people, we have this holy place of prayer where we can come into that communion with God, pray according to his will, and accomplish so much through the power of prayer that we could never accomplish any other way. 
And so those are six shared characteristics that I see between the altar of incense and the prayer of the believer. Would you bow with me? Oh Lord, I admit that I do not pray enough. And Lord, I believe that it is not just a challenge for me, but it's a challenge for every believer. I believe that it's one of the areas in which our enemy fights. I believe it's an area in which our flesh rebels. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight this focus on prayer would remind us of how special it is. What a privilege it is to be called your people and to have this invitation to come to you in prayer and to have this direct access to you through Christ that we do not have to go through any other mediator or mediatorial process. Father, forgive us for neglecting this sacred space of prayer. May we renew our passion for prayer. May we discipline ourselves to give more increments of our time to you in prayer throughout the day. If we can't find the time or the focus to pray for one extended period of time, Lord, may we break it down into manageable pieces and pray for multiple periods of time throughout the day. Father, I just pray and ask that you would send a revival of prayer to your church and that from there we would see the ripple effects that it has upon this world. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.